Welcome to the Ponder Anew podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myles, and in this podcast, we ponder anew the ancient stories of Scripture and their meaning for our time and our place. Now, last week I said that we were going to end the season of Nehemiah. But as I reflected on it more, I realized that there was one more, one more lesson, one more um, bit of, of theology and wisdom for today's world that I really felt that uh, we needed to ponder together. And that's uh, about how we, we tell our own story and, and what we choose to include and what we choose not to include and how that impacts our ability to move forward. So this is the true season finale of season one, uh, our concluding episode here, uh, How We Tell Our Story. So without further ado, let's get rebuilt. The stories we tell about ourselves play a significant role in how we move ahead in life. And I want to talk today uh, using uh, Ezra Nehemiah as an example of, and then look at the New Testament, and compare and contrast how they tell the same story, and to think through the implications of, of that difference in how they tell the story, and then what that um, means for us. But before I begin, I just want to sort of talk about what I mean by the power of story. So in life, we have all these experiences, but as humans, we string them together into stories. So uh, for instance, um, and I don't just mean like long stories that take up time in car rides or something, but like we'll, we'll sort of, um, we'll, we'll get a story, something like, you know, ever since X happened in my family, Y family member has been mean to me. Uh, or no matter what I say, uh, you know, my mother-in-law will, you know, interrupt me, or whatever it is. And what happens is, is that um, that story, and it can also be positive, right? Um, this person is falling in love with me, or this, whatever it is. But we sort of, these, these stories, um, they, they let us sort of connect other stories, and they allow us to gather information in our lives. Uh, so, for instance, if, if we believe that a, a person is well-disposed or likely hostile to us, it's amazing how much of what they do is going to be interpreted through that, that story and that lens. I think, how many of you have ever had the experience where you uh, have gone to a family holiday and, and left feeling totally that all of your preconceptions about how everybody was going to behave towards you or towards others were fulfilled? Right? Um, and, and this is uh, just then a, a, a challenge for you, too. How many of you have also... Uh, have you feel that other people have a story about you, and no matter what you do, you can't break free of those stories. Right? Stories become incredibly powerful in uh, that they allow us to sort of bridge things together, and they allow us to filter information. And this can happen on a bigger political or social level, too, um, you know, where you, the, the, the sort of the way that you, you tell a story 
uh, and what story um, you choose to tell, how much of an in impact that can have. And so, for instance, if you believe that uh, climate change is an imminent threat to humanity or you believe that uh, vaccines are um, a hoax, you will cling to data that supports or is in line with that story and reject stories, data, evidence that doesn't fit to that story. You get a, you get a view, you, you get a sort of a summary of the evidence. Um, this is what good lawyers are trying to do. The facts are there. They're just trying to give you, their, they're trying to put them together in a version of the story that allows their client to be innocent or to be guilty. So again, how, how we construct stories allows us to hold together other stories, evidence, reject other things. Um, so maybe, again, where have you seen the, the power of stories to sort of open people up or to close people off to other truths in their life or to other experiences? But this uh, particularly, and I want to show an example of this then in the book of Nehemiah. And they discover, again, the Old Testament, really what we would call the bulk of the Old Testament, and uh, they decide that they're going to read this. And, and then Ezra, at, at one point, has this long prayer in, in which he summarizes the, uh, the, the books of the Bible. Again, he sort of summarizes all of Jewish history in this. And uh, this is uh, in chapter 9. And I want to read this a little bit more slowly because... We're going to see how Ezra cast this and then compare that to the New Testament. And Ezra said, You are the Lord, you alone. This is verse 6 of chapter 9. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and is all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. To all them you give life, and the host of heaven worships you. Great. Start out with the confession that the Lord is the creator. Then he goes on. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. And you found his heart faithful before you, and you made with him a covenant to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pezrite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite. You have fulfilled your promise, for you are righteous. The second statement here in this story of who God is is that Abraham is a good guy, and to his descendants God gave the land that specifically belonged to other tribes. Okay. Then it goes on a history of um, of of Moses. Okay, and and that's fine. But then it says this. This is verse twenty. Now, you gave them your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, so they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them the kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of King Shion of Hezbon and the land of King Og of Bashan. Then uh, continues, and brought them into the land that you had told their ancestors enter and possessed. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them to their hands with their kings and their peoples of the land to do with them as they pleased. They captured fortress cities in a rich land, took possessions of houses, and filled with all sorts of goods, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, and refilled and became fat. And then it talks about how they rebelled, and then um, 
it's the rebellion is punished. Verse 30, Many years you were patient with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets that they would not listen. Therefore you handed them over to the peoples of the lands. Now it talks about sort of their, sort of their current state where they've been uh, brought back. Okay, but then it says, um, here we are. Oh, they did not serve you. This is verse 35, the end of it. They did not serve you and they turned away from the, and did not turn away from their wicked works. Here we are, slaves to this day, slaves in the land that you gave to our ancestors to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Its rich yield goes to the kings whom have, you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over our bodies and over our livestock at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. This summary of the Old Testament from Abraham to uh, Exodus to sort of the nation to exile to return is encapsulated. It's, it's drawn together by the motif of land and the promise being the land. And when the people are good, they get the land. And when they're bad, they don't get the land. Okay, that's the summary that Ezra and Nehemiah offer. And this is going to have profound implications for how they then treat other people, right? If this is how you summarize your own history, this, it's not that hard to see why you would justify then, uh, even with violent means, kicking people out of the land uh, that you believe is your divine right. One of the great summaries of the Jewish people, of the Old Testament, is found in the book of Hebrews. And in it, the writer continues to talk about the power of faith. And he goes through all these characters in the Old Testament, and he keeps on talking about how they display faith. Uh, Noah, Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, and he even says, finally, in verse 32, For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, etc. It was all about faith. It was all about faith. And what really shows that it's no longer about land is that even when it seems to talk about land, I'm going to look at verses 8 here. By faith Abraham obeyed, and he was called out to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. As he set out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to a city that has its foundations, whose architect and builder is God, Right? Think about that here. Even when it's supposed to talk about the land, it's not. It's about something else. Look forward to the city that has its foundations, right? There was something bigger here. Uh, and for the writer here, pointing out towards the heavenly home, because he, he goes ahead and he says here in verse uh, 14. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So rather than focus on this land 
being the, the thing that this is all about. The writer of Jerusalem is saying there's this true heavenly home, and faith is what uh, allows us to move through life, keeping our eyes on this heavenly home. There will be other points in the New Testament where Paul will summarize uh, Old Testament events or Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7. But throughout the New Testament, you see the, the writers recasting, retelling the uh, Old Testament story, but they're never focusing on the land. It's almost always some variant of what the writer of Hebrews does in terms of celebrating faith and, and seeing that the, the true promise isn't a certain quad, quadrat uh, or meters of land here, but is the, the new Jerusalem, the new kingdom that has been promised, um, given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. In the case of Nehemiah and Ezra, they focus their story on the land and that God's faithfulness is, is manifest in whether or not the land belongs to them or not. And you can see how if that's your story, if that's your sense of God's work in your life, how a corollary to that is that the, the land belongs to us and that it's actually our sacred duty to restore the land, even if by violent means, to ourselves, as our ancestors have done in the past. And that as long as we keep up good behavior, God will reward us with victory and with this land, right? Because that's the story they told. The New Testament tells a story about uh, a universal God who uh, is seeking faithful people to, to follow his, the teachings of Jesus, to trust in Jesus Christ through the death and the resurrection of Jesus into the coming of the new age. That story has a very different corollary in terms of how we approach suffering and how we approach other people who are not of the tribe. In fact, it's that retelling of the story that, uh, and the other ways in which Paul especially is going to do that, that really open up Christianity to non-Jews and to move beyond ancient, the land that was ancient Judea or ancient Israel. Okay, so I'm, I'm hoping at this point that you sort of see uh, biblically how within the Bible people are telling, are summarizing the same story in different ways, and that summary leads to profoundly different implications for how to move forward for them and their understanding of God. So, then let's get then back to our life. I don't want to argue per se right now for uh, what kind of story that we should have about God, although that is in itself really interesting to ask yourself, what are the, the key stories about God that uh, help shape your understanding of who God is in this world, right, as the writers of Hebrews did, as, the, as Stephen does, as, as Luke tells it in the book of Acts, or as Nehemiah and Ezra, as Ezra did. So that's alone a helpful thought exercise. What are the stories in Scripture that really I will focus on to help me 
understand who, who God is and how God is at work in this world. But the, the, I think the other question, though, is um, what about your story as you tell it is, is not leading to life? Again, what about your story that you're telling is, is not leading to life? I don't know how you tell your story. As a pastor, I could sit there, and I'd be happy, actually, if you wanted to, to listen to you tell your story and, and reflect with you on this. But, but what parts of your story, as you tell them, uh, lead you to a point of being the victim in a way that does not allow you to move forward. My sense is uh, that it is very difficult for us to change our story about ourselves. And so it is worth asking ourselves, what allowed the early Christians, who were mainly Jews, to retell their own people's story. Right? What allowed them to sort of, if, if Ezra and Nehemiah are one of the, the later, sort of the, one of the last sort of summaries of the Old Testament. Like in the Old Testament, right, Chronicles in some ways is a summary of kings. Um, there's prophets who come along, there's Psalms. But if you think about it, like Ezra and Nehemiah is just about one of the last official takes on this is who we are as a people. What allows the, the, the Jews in the New Testament then to sing a new song and to, to speak differently about God? Well, it is the encounter with the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. For it is this in encounter, and you could even say this then ultimately the story of this encounter that allows them to sing a new song. Because if... God has been raised from the dead. This means that the, the way that Jesus looked at it is true, right? The resurrection, first of all, it validates what Jesus' ministry was all about. Because if he came back from the dead and he's the only one, that means that he's God, and therefore what he said while he was alive is gospel truth. Second of all, the, the resurrection always says that our story has hope because our God is a God who brings life out of death, who brings forgiveness out of sin, who brings love out of hatred. And so if our God is the God, yes, of Jesus Christ, then our God is the God who can change our story, who can convince us actually because, as Hebrews will say, that he is the author of our salvation— that, that we are not alone in writing it, and that there can be another chapter, that there can be a new way to actually go back and reinterpret the data. And this is, in fact, actually what's happening in the resurrection, because the people are saying, but we thought he was dead, or but we had hoped, right? They thought the story was done, but the story isn't. Right? So our God is at work in our lives, breaking through the false narratives we have constructed about ourselves. And one of the false narratives we almost always will construct is that either our sin or the sin of somebody else has a fundamental claim on who we are and what we can do in our limitations. 
But the good news of the gospel is that God's story, God's redemption in Jesus Christ, always breaks free and destroys the power of that story. So my question for you is, what story about yourself are you telling yourself where you're giving sin or death the final word when Jesus Christ, the author of your salvation, has the final word for you? Indeed, at this point, even we could even just say the next word. So now we can conclude the book of Nehemiah. And I wanted us to wrestle this last time on story and showing how their particular take on this story led to certain actions, which in my mind were destructive. The New Testament, in light of Jesus Christ, takes that same story, reinterprets it, sings it anew. And I, and I challenge you then this day for you to think about your story. Where are you giving sin and death the power to write your story through which you're interpreting life rather than to say, no, 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 our God is a living God, and so my story goes on. Well, again, it's been great to work through the book of Nehemiah. I feel like I can now officially say we're done with this book, but uh, maybe not, who knows. Uh, but we'll again think about what the next chapter is in the next book, because the story goes on. There's plenty more scripture to consider. Um, but for now, though, I'll simply offer us a simple prayer. O oh Lord, uh, your servant uh, centuries ago, both Ezra and Nehemiah, prayed to you, and they, they got it wrong. May we always acknowledge that we can get it wrong too, and that we need your grace and mercy and forgiveness to help us sing a new song, and to understand and to break free of the false stories, the false narratives about ourselves that we have, and to open ourselves up to you, the author of our salvation. Amen.